Welcome to the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, Eli and I talk about SGE, Google's new AI-powered search experience. Before we jump in, Eli, you started a newsletter not too long ago. Why should everybody start a newsletter in this time where we have TikTok, we have YouTube, we have all these other formats, and yet newsletters still work? Why is that? I think that people still read content more than they watch things. Like I'm, I don't actually watch a lot of stuff unless it's, it's dedicated watching time. If I'm on LinkedIn and I see a video, I don't watch it because I don't want the sound on necessarily, or I'm on my phone and I don't feel like watching a video, but I read. And I think everyone reads, even though like maybe people don't commute as much, they still read newsletters. So I think newsletters are the best way to get a message out. So yes, you can subscribe to a channel on, on YouTube. You can follow someone on Instagram, follow someone on TikTok, but if you really want to get your message to them, I think text is still the best. Now, one other thing on newsletters is, you know, I'm trying not to live in regret on not doing this before because I just finally got around to doing it this year. And the growth has been amazing. Like I've really enjoyed it and really seen the subscribers come. And I think to myself, like, well, I should have been like Kevin. I should have had a newsletter like eight years ago. And then I would have 10,000 subscribers too. Instead of focusing on that, I don't think anyone, I know this podcast is not for that. I don't think anyone should like live in regret of like, oh, I shouldn't have, you know, I should have done this years ago. So therefore I'm not going to do it now. And I should have started LinkedIn 10 years ago, but you know, now it's too late and everyone else is doing it. like, no, do it now. You always do it now. I once met a, a doctor who became like a doctor at 40. I'm like, what made you decide to be a doctor at 40? Well, I always want to be a doctor and they could have been at 80 and be like, well, I always want to be a doctor, but you know, I didn't. If you have an idea and you want to do something, do it now. Don't be like, well, I should have done it years ago and I would have been so much further on. Because you do it now, and a year from now, you'll be really glad you did it. I agree with that. It's always easy to think I should have started yesterday, and that is a trap. I started my newsletter in 2018, and I took it seriously in 2020. So I'm coming up on three years serious writing. I write pretty much every week with a few exceptions. And as you said, I'm close. I'm pretty close to 10,000 subscribers. But it does a couple of things for you, right? One is it really helped me get my name out. And it is overwhelming how many people approach me and say they read my newsletter. I mean, we're talking about venture capital firms, CEOs, founders, executives, or just starters in SEO, right? So it's, it's a very, you have a, you, you develop very broad reach, but you also refine your thinking. And I found that if you want to provide a lot of value, whether you work in-house or you're a consultant, a, a lot of value comes from refined thoughts and not from things you've done a million times or things you've read on the internet. It comes from thinking deeper about a topic than others. And writing is a way to push you to think deeper than others. I'm also going to admit, though, that every day I'm like, should I just stop writing and do everything on YouTube or everything for podcasts? There's some, there's a really cool channel out there. I'm going to link in the show notes. It's called Nerd Writer. I think they already have a couple million subscribers, but they're basically, they're basically video essays and they're incredibly well done. And a part of me thinks you should just do that. It takes maybe more effort and time to write, but it's also so much more engaging. And yet books sell really well. You know, books are still being read. I read paper books all the time. I subscribe to newsletters all the time. So this text format is not, somehow it's not dying. It's not beatable, even though there's, there's so many possibilities. Totally agree. I think that the newsletters will always exist. Content, like this kind of content will always exist. You, you just need to put more effort into watching and creating video and audio content. And if you put your thoughts down in a newsletter, I think it's the best. And that's the other thing I want to say about newsletters. Like I, I always wanted to have a newsletter, but I didn't know what to put in a newsletter. And there's all these summaries. 
then we should share it. Like Aleda, as we'll put it in the show notes, she has like a great summary of all the things that happen in SEO. And she's a marketing newsletter every week. And there's some really great newsletters. I didn't want to do that because everyone else does that. It's just like our podcast. We didn't want to do what everyone else does. But the newsletter, the reason like I'm enjoying it and I think the follower and like the subscribers are growing is because I'm just writing what I think rather than writing what I think people want to read. And somehow writing what I think, somebody likes reading it. So that's great. And it makes it a lot easier to do. You know, it's funny you mentioned Alida because Alida SEO FOMO is a curated newsletter where she basically curates leads and, and, and tools and people across the web. I actually started out like that. And then I realized, oh, okay, I'm, I'm one of many. I want to do something else. And then I pivoted towards an editorial newsletter. So now my newsletter is basically essays. And I mean, Elena does a fantastic job. She has, I don't know, 20 plus thousand subscribers, maybe more. I'm, I'm reading her newsletter every time, right? It's a fantastic newsletter. But to your point, Eli, like because of the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, it's still time to start with anything, right? Whether it's writing a book or a newsletter, but you want to figure out how to stand out and provide something that doesn't already exist, right? And, and, and so it, it also shouldn't be something that is close to something that exists. It should be something that is far away from something that already exists. And at the same time, people want. So I feel like if you can live within that Venn diagram of other than what exists, but still a demand, you're going to be in a good spot. Absolutely. It's the modern blog. Yes, it's a modern blog. Well, anything else interesting happened in the last week? Like we should talk about or should we just cut it right here? Yeah, I don't know, man. There was this little thing from Google, it's a small company from Silicon Valley, not very popular. And they brought out this new AI experience that has... Oh, AI again. Let's, let's um, Everyone's talking about AI. Ah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about something else. Contrarian like... Marketing Podcast. AI. <laughs> Should be the Contrarian AI Podcast. Yeah, we're not even here. We're just, we're fake. Yeah. We're just being driven by MidJourney and ChatGBT. <laughs> we're just bots, basically. Eli bot, Kevin bot, <laughs> Kev bot. So Eli bot, let's talk about this thing. Do you want to start by just describing basically what this is that Google has pushed out? We are a few of the lucky people who have signed up for the waitlist, and we're now in the beta. We've, we've both tested it extensively. Can you just paint a picture of what's going on here? Yeah, so I, I think the, the dumbest way of describing this is ChatGPT meets Google. Google initially said, oh, we came out with LLMs, and a quick description on what an LLM is, it's a large language model. It's not AI in the sense that it's a all thinking computer. So the way LLMs work and the way ChatGPT works, which is also LLM, is that they use predictive statistics to figure out the next word in a string. So if you put the word what, so there's Stephen Wolfram wrote a book on what ChatGPT is. So there's only 50,000 words. I think that's the number in the English language. So of the 50,000 words, what's the possibility or probability of the next word coming after the word what? And then you keep doing these probabilistic calculations to figure out what the string is. So you ask a question and that's how it figures out what the answer is based on the kinds of things that would show up. But it's writing new content. It's not scraping the web and grabbing you an answer the way sort of Google search does. That's what an LLM is in a very, very, very broad nutshell. So Google claimed that they came up with LLMs first. That may be true, but they had the innovator's dilemma, which is if they did something with it, one is it kills the primary business. And the second thing is they have liability, whereas OpenAI, when they launched ChatGPT, well, it's a startup, it's in .org, OpenAI.org, they can get away with a lot of stuff. If Google would do the sort of racist, offensive, weird things that ChatGPT did, that would be Google, and it would hurt the brand, hurt the company, hurt stock price, hurt everything. So Google didn't do it. So now that ChatGPT launched, Google had to have their own thing. 
essentially what Google is launching is ChatGPT meets Google. Now, you may say, oh, Bing already did this. Bing invested in, in OpenAI and integrated ChatGPT into Bing Search. But they didn't do it the way Google is doing and the way you and I are seeing it show up this week. The way Bing did it is they created this bifurcated experience where you can chat or you can search. And Google's integrated it completely. So think about, and, and this is where I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks on LinkedIn. Most people thought that it was going to be like the Bing experience where you ask questions into Google and then Google would give you a response when it, it's relevant. What actually happens is that every single query that you put on Google is run through this decision matrix of, is there an AI response? And that AI response, the, the likelihood of an AI response is significantly higher than most people think to the point where I think 80% of my queries are getting generative AI responses. So what happens is when you do a query, one of three things happens in search. One is there's no AI response. So just a regular query as it is today. Two is you put in a query and then Google asks you if you would like to generate a response. I'm seeing that. I don't know. You see, I'm seeing that mostly on branded queries like the word Google. And then three is it just auto generates a response. And that is where I think it's going to be massively destructive for a lot of the SEO channel, a lot of marketing in general, because Google is now going to be top of funnel. So an example that might be, again, broad head terms. I saw this on city names. Let's say you search the word San Jose. So instantly you get a response of what San Jose is, the different San Jose's there are in the world. And that would be taking traffic away and answers away from Wikipedia. What are your initial thoughts and how'd I do on that overview of what it is? You do great. I love your description of ChatGPT plus Google. I think it's pretty accurate. My first impression is mixed. I generally am in the camp of this is going to change a lot of things. I don't think search is going to be the same. I don't think search is going to die. I think, you know, like somebody recently told me, oh yeah, SEO is going to change 50%. And I, f I, find, I find that's kind of expressing what, what my impression is as well. A lot of things are going to change, but essentially to optimize for SGE, if you, if you want to call it that, if you still want visibility in Google's new search generative AI experience, you basically do a lot of classic SEO things, right? Content creation, backlinks, all that kind of stuff. There are a couple of new interesting opportunities in my mind, you know, like where brands can, brands can gain new visibility because I think they will lose a lot of visibility from this new experience because there are only so many links to websites. A lot of informational queries are going to be answered directly. What's still unclear to me, and we won't know until it rolls out, is whether users will trust and accept those answers. Will AI answers be enough for people or will they say, nah, I know this is from AI or this is not deep enough. I want to click through to a website. I'm torn. I'm 50-50. I could see both. You know, when I see, for example, my parents using Google, they don't filter what they see. They, they believe the first result. They, they believe all the answers to people also ask modules. They use the knowledge graphs and all the other integrations Google has. The younger generation seems to be much more skeptical of Google in general. They might even use TikTok or other platforms or YouTube to, to learn new things. It's similar to how Facebook is now for old people. No, no offense, but you, you get my drift here being tongue-in-cheek. I, I could also see that Google has a similar fragmentation where maybe younger people use the perspectives tab more, which seems to be driven by creators. And that's, where, by the way, what I think is one opportunity. And then maybe, you know, older people use the, the classic search. They might not trust a generative AI, but it's all so much in the air. My short answer is, this is a beta. You can tell some things are still not very refined or don't make a lot of sense. And I don't think that this is what the public will actually see. I think this is going to evolve to something better. I hope so.
Absolutely. And I think it's wrong. So like I was answering a quiz yesterday and one of the questions in this quiz was what's a four letter word that is related to the word playing, greening, and a game. So the, I put it into ChatGPT, got it wrong too. I put it into Google and I put it into Bard and Google search and Google told me the word is high. <laughs> it's not a four letter word. I kept trying. I was like, that's not a four letter word. So then it told me it was, it, it was hello. I was like, okay, it's still not a four letter word. Nice. And then it, you know, finally I went on Reddit where people were answering the same thing and it was, the word is card. Mm. But so essentially it's an LLM, it's a language model and it didn't tie those relationships together. So it's not a thinking anything. It's looking for words that appear in sequences. It sort of can think for itself, but it's based on those sort of probabilistic rules. I, I agree with you. It needs to get better. But I also think when they roll it out and they're going to roll it out soon because their biggest fear is that, and you'll disagree with me, their biggest fear is that they lose market share. ChatGPT is taking market share away from Google, but not probably not in a measurable way just yet. But there's many people that I've met, at least anecdotally, who are like, oh yeah, search Google a lot less. They use ChatGPT. Google hears those messages too. Obviously, it's a very select amount of like early adopters, tech individuals that are doing this. But if they start using ChatGPT, they may never come back. And one thing we haven't talked about yet on this podcast, OpenAI announced that ChatGPT is now using Bing search by default. So now if you go to ChatGPT, you no longer use the search experience. You lose it because you can also do a search on Bing, which I don't use Bing intentionally, but every once in a while I use Bing. I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. Like I found what I was looking for. So that could happen. So I think Google's hearing that. And I think Google's going to roll out this experience. And most people in the world are going to be like, what's a generative AI thing? Don't even know about ChatGPT, but they'll be introduced it from Google. Google just has to make sure it's accurate and the right thing. I think they're going to force it on people to make sure that they, they see it. And they shared this recently. So remember Google Plus? Like Google was freaked out by Facebook and Twitter's growth. And they're like, we need a social network too. And they're like, well, we, at the time they had a couple hundred million users. They're like, well, we have a couple hundred million users. We'll automatically have a social network. And they forced everyone into it. It didn't grow. It didn't impact anybody because you just kind of ignored it unless you went to Google plus page. So great. You were in a circle with your family. It didn't mean anything. Like you got an email. Hey, it comes from your family circle. Big deal. Right. But it took Google until 2019. So they launched this thing in 2011 and 2019, they finally gave up. So Google might just do this generative thing. Users might be like, ah, it's annoying. Scroll down to the results anyways. But I don't think Google's going to give up in six months. So whatever impact it's going to have, it's going to be lasting. I don't think they're going to give up, but I disagree with you as you <laughs> correctly predicted. Eli Botts, good job. Oh, great. I love it. Always <laughs> wait for that. <laughs> I honest, my honest, first of all, I think Google, ideally Google would want to make this go away. I don't think Google wants this to happen. What they have done is they haven't innovated. They basically copied what Microsoft and other search engines like Neva or you have already presented as a concept. They have copied that and they've gone maybe a step further, but there's no real innovation. They're not really, they're not really driving that forward. They try to delay the rollout of this as long as possible. It might stay in beta forever. I'm not sure if, if it's ever going to see the light of day. I think the, the search engine race is done. It's, it's way over. And I don't even think that Microsoft has a real interest in all of a sudden becoming the number one search engine. Here's my thesis, or my theory, better said. First of all, Microsoft wants to destroy the playing field for Google by forcing them into a higher cost AI experience. Second, 
I think the Windows Copilot is the actual vision for search from Microsoft's perspective. So they recently, I think last week, had their build conference, which is their developer conference. And they introduced Windows Copilot, which is basically an AI that lives in your taskbar. And you can just ask it to perform actions very reliably, like arrange these two windows next to each other or turn my screen into dark mode. But it can go way further than that. And I think Microsoft wants to bring ChatGPT plus Bing search, bring that into the taskbar and, and take search out of the browser so that users don't even have to go anywhere. They don't even need to be the browser. And I'm not saying browsers are going to go away. I still think people will go to google.com. But long term, why have search on a separate website? I think it will move into apps. It will move, move towards the operating system and into the taskbar on your desktop. I think that's a much bigger threat for Google. But it's not impossible. I think Google can play here. They have a broad ecosystem. They dominate email. They dominate, you know, with, with Android. I think that's where search is going to go long term. So I don't think Bing really has a chance to grab market share. That's, that ship has sailed. Users are, they have developed a habit to use Google. They, Google has become a verb and all that kind of stuff. But this future of an assistant, I think that's the real battle between the companies. And I think it's a level playing field right now. I totally agree with that. And I think that there, there's a lot in the, a lot of people in the marketing world that are holding on to this old way of doing things. And if you think about like the, the genesis of search, the early days of the internet, there are a bunch of websites that existed and you're like, how do I find these websites? You need a phone book for websites. And that became search like yeah. Yahoo search and all these other search engines, ask Jeeves that don't exist. And then it became informational, but we've adapted since then. It's like, oh, well it's search. It's still like a phone book for the internet, but it's gotten a little bit better and it's gotten a little smarter. And then Google started extracting more things and then they you know, featured snippets and knowledge graph and all that stuff. So you didn't actually have to go to websites. We've now taken this massive leap forward. And I think some people are holding on to like, that's the old way of doing things. And I think what we have seen with AI is that you don't need to do that stuff. Think about, and this is a search I see that uh, SG is really disrupting. I mean, SG is disrupting everything. But here's one I thought was interesting that Google dove into is travel search. Say you want to go to Miami is the example I used earlier. So say you want to go to Miami and you want to find a hotel. So right now, if you want to find a hotel, there's some huge, I think they call it OTs. I forget what it stands Online for. travel agencies. OTAs. OTA. There you go. So the, the right. So you have kayaks and booking and Expedia, all of them. They're all the exact same thing. They just have different arrangements that get paid on commission. And then they, they arbitrage and the way they advertise to get you to do it. And that's all it is. Now there's no reason like, you know, search Miami hotels, Expedia shows up first to search like Dallas hotels and kayak shows up first. So they're all fighting each other for this. There's no reason you even have to go to that. So that's a query that I'm now saying like you search Miami hotels, you have the general experience. And then Google shows you the, the hotels you should go to and Google's monetizing of course too. But that's the world I think we're going into is like, well, it's already a commoditized search. Why should you book with Kayak one time because it shows up number one and Expedia the next time because it shows up number one? Why are you just doing that from the search engine? And I think that's what's changing. The same is going to happen with affiliate where you had so many affiliates, let's say in the VPN space, people bought a specific VPN because they read an article that managed to rank number one. Well, you can now do a search of that VPN and then Google will tell you, here's the five VPNs you should use. Here's how much they cost and here's their privacy and security of them done. You don't need to go and read articles. Same goes with credit cards. Same goes with all these things. So I think it's just a, a new world that you don't need the search engine to go find stuff. You just need 
something to give it to you and you're not actually searching on a website. I agree with that. And I wonder, let's, let's, let's take this to a next level and think about what brands can do in this environment. I'm just going to jump ahead with a couple of thoughts and give you some time to, to process and disagree with what I say. But no, no. I just agree automatically. I don't need any time to process. <laughs> fair, fair. That's what we're doing this. But in all seriousness, so one thing that I find, it's funny and counterintuitive. And here's my contrarian take on this. Marketing is going to go back to more old school stuff because of this new technology. You basically want to get top of mind for AI, right? If you think about artificial intelligence, a mind, an artificial mind, you want to be top of mind for AI. And how to get there is just simply mind share, right? But to, to actually bring this in the 21st century, the way to get there, I think, is to increase your web footprint. A lot of companies will go to lengths to measure their footprint across the web, which can be mentions, it can be backlinks, but you basically want to get a good understanding of which website mentions you and, or writes about you, what is the sentiment, and what do they say? And AI will be able to understand that and reflect it in the search results. So that when you look for the best insurance, credit card, you know, standing desk, coffee mug, whatever it is, the AI will basically respect what brands will get the highest exposure, will have the best product, maybe lowest price in e-commerce, but especially what other sites are writing about, about them. And I'm saying that because you can already see in SGE when you look for, for products or local searches, how sensitive AI or SGE is to reviews from third-party sites. So there's going to be a new discipline that is increasing and shaping the web footprint of your brand. Marketers will think about how to get better reviews, more exposure, and maybe some sort of like an old-school way, right? Where it goes back to campaigns, it goes back to classic marketing, just in a futuristic version, if that makes sense, or maybe with better measuring tools. Yeah, I, so I think the rules aren't defined, and, and I don't disagree with you yet. And the reason I think the rules aren't defined is because I'm not seeing any, and you tell me if you see this different, but I'm not seeing any correlation between AI responses and ranking results. So if you do a query, like a single word query or a two word query, and then you get general responses and it, we forgot to talk about this, but Google does link out to the websites that are there. They, they mentioned some websites that they've stolen the content from. I don't know, stolen might be a strong word, borrowed, learned from, plagiarized, whatever it is. But they mentioned some websites. I don't see a correlation between those websites and the websites that rank beneath the gen of AI. Do you see it? I think that I think for a short time, Google will measure whether users prefer websites or generative AI results. But long term, I think they will go away. No, no. I mean, like we need the websites that show up in that box, mm. the generative box as the source. I don't see them as the same ranking results. Like I don't see yeah. like that if there's three, I don't see those same three yes. in that order always beneath it. Yes. So what that means is we know what the basic rules are for showing up on the list of websites. You build some links, write some content, do best SEO best practices. I don't think we or any, or even Google really knows. And that's the best thing about AI. Google necessarily knows the best practice for what shows up in generative AI yeah, because they can't load it, which means, and this is where we get into, take us 25 minutes to get here. What, what are you supposed to do about AI? Right now, I, I don't think there's a real answer for how do you make sure your content shows up in the AI because I don't know that the AI knows it. Like we can't get advise you build some links because I don't know that's the right thing or load up with content. What I can say, this is the one thing that I see now is there's two things actually. One is I think search is going from top of funnel to mid funnel. So search right now is you're very top of funnel, very broad. You want to bring people lower in the funnel. That's the way I believe you're supposed to be doing SEO. 
SEO is not going to be like that in the future because top of funnel now belongs to generative AI and Google. You want to be mid funnel. So I want to know what's the best backpack. That's probably going to be generative AI. What's the best hiking backpack with brown straps that's waterproof? That's now going to be SEO because that's your website and Google can't sell that to you. And then you give the review and the price and shipping time and all that. I think that's where SEO is moving. So focus more on the mid funnel is the first piece of advice I would say. The second thing that I would say is you want to, if you're thinking about content ideas, I am seeing correlation between people also ask and the follow-up questions in generative AI. People also ask is coming straight from people asking those questions. I love people also ask because you see like the, there's one I saw yesterday. I looked for iPhone and one of the people also asked us, which iPhone is more better? <laughs> like clearly Google didn't even scrub that for grammar. It just showed up to people also ask. I think the follow-up questions in generative AI are not going to be that, let's call that dumb, because they're generative AI questions. So if you want ideas, you can't really get, we don't have a tool yet to extract generative AI to find those follow-up questions, but you can use people also ask. And those are the things people are asking and generative AI may correlate. So focus on people also ask questions as the content you're creating for that mid-funnel. What are your tips? So one of them is, is certainly to get to first draft very quickly. I find a lot of time when creating content is spent on just creating an initial draft. I feel like as a human, you want to get a suggestion for a structure. You want to refine that structure and then get a, uh, an AI suggestion from the first draft. Then you want to refine that draft, right? Like this is kind of like interplay between humans and AI where humans need to get a lot, like really good at directing AI what they want from them. That's where we go to prompt, prompt engineering. What I've observed is that too many people are not spending enough time learning good prompt engineering. The results vary so much between having a really good prompt and a really bad prompt. And the best place you can see that is when you look at generative AI image generation. So Midjourney, for example, which you prompt on Discord, allows you to see what prompts other people use. And when you look at the best looking pictures, those are really long prompts. They're like a paragraph long. And the same accounts for content. So the, you, know, you get better output with a better prompt from there, it's all about the interplay between humans and machines. And that's a new skill to learn. I don't think anybody has really perfected that, but you, you want to train that. Totally agree. I hate that I have to say this, but totally agree. <laughs> but can we at least agree that SEO of 2022 is probably close to dead? It's absolutely close to dead. And again, some core will remain and survive in some principles, but the cards are being reshuffled. There's a new experience that listens to different signals, has slightly different rules, and Part of me is really excited about figuring all of that out again. You know, it's like last couple of years was so boring in SEO. And now, you know, things change and other platforms innovate too. YouTube is innovative. Part of my excitement is not just Google in itself and SEO, but also how all the other platforms are going to react. I think it's, it's, it's good times. Eli, in terms of predictions, you voiced a couple of thoughts about SGE. I'm going to let you go first here. What, what do you predict for SGE and Google in particular in the AI context? So I've got four predictions. I'm going to say them one at a time so you can just disagree with each one. And <laughs> I'm going to go as big as possible. So I think SEO traffic declines by at least 50% for most websites. Thoughts? Disagree. Disagree. I think... What, what, what's your number? It, let's put it this way. If we're talking about the biggest range of SEO traffic loss, I think some range, some sites, like especially affiliates and publishers, might lose as much as 80%. And I think other sites might gain 80% of SEO traffic because all of a sudden they're featured in the top carousel by providing a unique angle to the query. So I say there is a range and some sites will even gain. 
That's fair. I think that SGE launches in September because an SGE, just a reminder, search generative experience, that's Google's name for it, is it's going to launch in September and not towards the end of the year like most people think because I think this is an emergency for Google and they got to get this out as fast as possible. It'll probably be not fully baked when it launches. I think it's going to launch maybe next year. I think Google will drag this out. They will make sure it's really good before they put it out. Right now, it's it's clearly not. This is a quick way for Google to destroy their business. And they're going to be very, very slow and hesitant to put this out. So my, my prediction is 2024. All right. So then now I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to follow this up with one you're definitely going to disagree with. I think that Google loses ad revenue because I, from what I can tell, and I'm fortunate, again, we talked about this on other podcasts. I live in, I, live, I still live in the Bay Area, still live in Silicon Valley. So then my neighbors are all Googlers and Apple people and tech workers. From what I have heard, Google has not figured out how to monetize generative AI, except for using Pmax, but they don't really have that unit yet to monetize it. All right. So again, I think they launch sooner rather than later. And without that ad unit, they lose ad revenue, but they make it up by, well, not make it up, but prevent themselves from losing market share. I think the opposite is going to happen. They're going to increase advertising revenue by, for two reasons. One, by showing more ads. So they have top ads before the search generative AI experience in the AI answers and below them. That's going to allow them to create even more surface to show ads. The other reason is because they're working on automating ad creation itself. And if I can voice one more contrarian statement, advertising managers and specialists are at a higher risk of losing their job or being in part replaced is probably a better way to put it than SEOs. And so Google has introduced a way to create copy and creative from landing pages. They're trying to build a model where companies just give them their credit card numbers. They build the ad, they run the ad, and they're going to you know optimize for that business. And in the process, they're probably going to spend a lot more money than the businesses have to. So I think I think Google is going to increase ad revenue. Interesting. So what, like you say, so I, I think that advertiser or that la- that middle layer people in advertising are at risk of a job loss. However, those are mostly people at agencies and agencies own the relationship. They are not going to allow Google to cut too deep into that, but sort of agree with you there. And then my last one, and love to hear what you think about this. Actually, I think you'll agree with this. Google loses market share. I think despite everything they're doing for the first time ever, there's a viable alternative to Google. They lose market share. And it's not necessarily going to be the chat GPT, but this, the idea of using LLMs to help you answer questions means that you just use Google less. I'm torn on this one. I I was hopeful you'd agree this time. <laughs> I'll agree half. I don't know if that work, if, if that even works, but Google usage is going down, but revenue will keep going up, right? And so when we say Google usage, we have to define what that means. I think there will be fewer new searches, but due to SGE, there will be more engagement on Google, right? Because you can interface and and basically converse with that. AI, I think that will drive engagement, but I think there will be fewer searches because you just do one search and then you have this conversation and it brings you closer to your goal, right? So based on how we define it, I agree or disagree. All right. That's fair. All right. Let me hear what you got. I got two. One, creator collaborations become- I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Two, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Creator collaborations become a lot more important because Google features them in the perspectives tab. 
So they might feature YouTubers or bloggers and try to provide new perspectives. And that means brands will have an interest in sponsoring these creators to get, get, a, get a share of, of search, if you will. That's an interesting one. I think Google will be torn because they will not want to help monetize creators that are not on their platform. So how do they do this for TikTokers, for example, or Instagrammers that are not YouTubers? I think they're still going to steal their content. I do think Google is going to use creator collaborations within YouTube to promote this, but then, then there might be antitrust issues. Actually, there was a, a note I want to share. We forgot to talk about this at the beginning of the episode. Recently went to the Mobile Apps Unlocked conference in Vegas and to thousands of people talking about mobile. And TikTok was a headline sponsor and there was a bunch of TikTok employees and there were zero Facebook employees and zero Facebook sessions. And they didn't sponsor it at all. So I get that they're in austere mode. The rise of TikTok, we should probably make an entire episode about this. I still don't think they're getting banned. I don't know. Where are you on that? <laughs> I mean, they kind of got banned. Yeah, you're wrong. But... We had to do a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a whole episode of this. Yeah. So I, I think that TikTok is a, a force to be reckoned with. And yes, creator collaborations could be interesting, but it discounts where a lot of creators are currently at. They're not on YouTube. Huh? That's, uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I could see them featuring Twitter and LinkedIn posts and all sorts of stuff to become kind of the discovery hub for creator content, but debatable. We'll, we'll do a whole episode on this. And then the last one that I have is that Google will not show SGE on every query, meaning some search results, and I think especially brand searches, will not feature SGE because Google has to be careful, right? These SGE results are more expensive than classic web results. Some data or some people say it's 10 times more expensive. There might be a fragmentation of search results where for some queries, you have the classic web experience and for other queries, you have the new web experience, which is good for us because it allows us to understand the impact of SGE queries. I agree with that. It was interesting about SGE. So like one of the, the drawbacks and flaws to ChatGPT is that the data set stopped, I think in 2021. Google is not stopping it. So I did a query yesterday for the word mortgage rates and Google gave me yesterday's mortgage rates. So that meant that they had to LLM whatever they do to pick up yesterday's mortgage rate. Now, maybe fairly easy because they have that data feed coming in from different places. However, I think it is more expensive because you're going to, and I, I've talked to Google about this, they're not going to stop it the way ChatGPT did where they just crawl the web and then stop learning. They're going to keep crawling and that is very expensive, which means they keep crawling the web, keep learning and keep creating these models and, and learning against it. Agree with you there that they are going to tone it back, but they will, it will take them a long time. And this is where I disagree with you. I think it will take a long time to tone it back because right now they're going to stuff it in everyone's face. Hmm. TBD, we'll see how it plays out. You heard our predictions here. We're collecting them as well and we're going to follow up with them. So far, Eli, I think this is a wrap. Yep. Thanks, Kevin. Dope. Thanks for talking. And now it's your turn. Head over to contrarianmarketingpodcast.com and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter to get a summary of today's episode, key takeaways, and community content. And while you're there, go to today's episode and leave your opinion in the comments. We'll feature the best thoughts in the newsletter and on the podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, please feel free to leave five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and here next week.